Today we've come to 1 Samuel 20. Now in the last couple of chapters, we've seen a lot of unhealthy relationships. We've been trying to unpack, you know, how do we live in the midst of those? How do we honor God in the midst of those? And I would encourage you, one of the things that's really helpful to me, like before I show up on a weekend or before I watch one of these videos, is if you actually read the passage ahead of time and just ask God to be speaking to you, because there's usually something in there of all the stuff we could talk about that he might be saying just for you. And I know in the last couple of weeks, as we've looked at these difficult relationships, a couple of the things that have surprised me was how in the midst of it, even while Saul was damaging a lot of people, David and Jonathan began to find a way to form a healthy relationship, a healthy friendship. In fact, even just last week, we saw this moment where Saul was planning to kill David He tried to invite Jonathan into it, but Jonathan brought David a warning. You know that he's demonstrated this kind of faithful friendship. And we're going to see that really take form here in chapter 20 today. In fact, I actually think that the key verse in chapter 20 is probably verse 17. Where it says, Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now, if you're familiar with this story, with this moment, we hear a lot about the friendship of David and Jonathan. But as we look at this today, I want you to realize how much of that sounds like something that Jesus has asked us to do. When it says that he loved David as he loved his own soul, it sounds a lot like when Jesus teaches the greatest commandment, he says to love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to love someone else as your own soul? And so I want us to explore that together today. I want us to dig deeper into that because as I thought about this passage, as I prepared to share this with you, at first I thought, what a great passage about friendship and and let's talk about what that really looks like. And we're going to, but I realize there's something even deeper here or, or perhaps broader than what we might expect when we first say friendship. Because we're not often familiar with this kind of love, the kind of thing that David and Jonathan find, the kind of thing that I think Jesus calls us to. And can I just tell you, as friends of mine, this is the kind of church I want Horizon to be. I want this to be a place that is full of people like Jonathan, people like David, who look at one another and say, I'm willing to love you as I love my own soul. So what does that mean? And one of the things that I spend a lot of time on here at Horizon is something that's called our equipping ministry. And this is part of it, this service, where we're really trying to help one another learn how do we unpack the Bible and how do we address that, how do we apply that in our own lives. And one of the things that as I've been just, I don't know, chewing on this stuff with the equipping team in the last couple of years is I've really come on this idea that discipleship, like helping one another become more like Christ, Discipleship is really all about friendship. And I think we see that in this passage. So that in the midst of all of the unhealthy relationships, in the midst of everything else that Saul is doing, and Jonathan and David are trying to understand, while there are fights all around them, this is a moment where we learn how to find a friend in the fight. So let's jump into the text. Chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah, Remember, he was there to see Samuel running for his life from Saul and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? 
What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Now, it can sound like Jonathan is naive to think that Saul wouldn't be trying to kill David. But again, remember, chapter 19, Saul called a meeting, including Jonathan, and said, the plan is to kill David. Found out that Jonathan actually likes David a lot. And so after David kind of, I mean, after Jonathan got Saul to kind of calm down, warned David, then the next time Saul sent messengers to find David, he did not tell Jonathan. So Jonathan has actually already demonstrated that he would be faithful. He would know. It would be likely for him to know this was happening and to tell David. In fact, it says that David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Notice these two words, that David finds favor with Jonathan and that Jonathan would be prepared to grieve for David. You see, this is a significant mark of friendship. This is where right at the front end of this, we begin to see that this is more than just a couple of guys that enjoy shooting the breeze together or, or going to the game or hanging out. That there is an emotional investment here. That he, he celebrates what David celebrates. He grieves when David grieves. In fact, I think if I were to take this and say, how does this look for you or for I? Like Jonathan, we can show favor to a friend. Right? That's what you do with a true friend. Now I know that in our world, like maybe you're on Facebook. I, I quit Facebook for this very reason. People think they have a thousand friends and, and they actually don't have any because there's something very active about this. It's not just we know each other and I generally have good feelings towards you and if we bump into each other, I'll try to be nice. David is actively showing favor to Jonathan. Jonathan is actively showing favor to David that there is a depth here that comes because of that relationship. And you notice, I think as this goes on, that one of the things that's happening, Jonathan actually begins to recognize what it is that God wants to do in David's life. And he wants to be a part of it. And so there's a moment where they choose, despite the things that Saul is doing, they're going to invest in one another. They're going to care about each other this way. Now, I think I've got to own right at the front end of this that for some of us, you hear me talk about friendship and like, if by the end of this I say, let's all go out and make a friend this week, you're like, cool, I can't wait. I actually did that while I was listening. <laughs> For others of us, and I'm actually one of these, that feels like painful, maybe, difficult. I don't know if I have time for that. I, I got enough friends. And so I want you to hear this a little bit differently. Because I think part of what we want to hear in this is where has God placed you? Where might there be a Jonathan or a David in your life? And maybe it's not a hundred people. Maybe it's just one person that you actually begin to think, who would God like me to show favor to? Now, I know that as I think about the, the 
people that I feel like I have a deep friendship with, almost every single one of them has some awkward moment where we just said, you know, hey, want to be friends? <laughs> and you try it. You, you go hang out. You begin to share life a little bit and, and see what happens there. But, you know, I'm, just, just to be honest with you guys as you're watching this, you know, for some of us that's easy. For some of us that's hard. And I don't want you to get the impression that as we look at this passage, as we talk about these things that like, well, Drew has to care about friendship and discipleship. That's why it's easier for him. He's probably built that way. Honestly, this is something that I've had to really submit to God to in my life, to find a way to make deep relationships. Because in my experience, even within a church setting, it's easy to be set up for, sign up for a lot of stuff so that I feel like I'm doing that community thing, but not really invest in other people, not really let them invest in me. And to be honest with you, like, my relational skills needed work. Like, as a kid, I actually heard this recently, that 90% of Americans say they were shy at some point in their life. Well, I might still be, but I know, as a kid, for example, if my ball went over the fence, as nice as the neighbor is, I do not want to talk to them. I will just get a new ball. <laughs> like, I kid you not. Like, that was my mentality. And there's still places where that, that comes up to me. But I've found even greater joy, even greater value in being able to be personal, even vulnerable, to invest in other people, to ask them to invest in me, to grow, to be who God actually wants me to be. And I think that is what happens with David and Jonathan. I guarantee you, if you stopped either of them, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, I signed up for the, uh, the mentorship thing in Israel and they paired me with David. No, but they are looking for where is God at work? Where is there another person who experiences God the way they do that they could share that? So how can we show favor to a friend? Because verse five, 5 continues then. They're going to make a plan here. This is how Jonathan is going to try to show favor to David. You'll notice here that even part of Saul's brokenness begins to leak into this because this is sort of like at best a little white lie. There's some deception mixed into this. And I know that on one level, like we totally resonate with that. It's good to see people like even like this be human. On another level, I think we begin to see that David is having these weak moments where he starts to rely more on his own understanding than on God's. But, but let's watch what happens. Verse five says, And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say... Uh, <clears throat> David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. Which like maybe he's planning to get there eventually, but for now he's, he's hiding in the field just telling Jonathan to say this, trying to, trying to kind of force out of Saul some response. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, David says, you shall deal kindly with your servant. That same idea of actively showing favor. You see David say it here. Jonathan will say it back to him in a moment. Deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So David almost has like this 
insane level of accountability. Like Jonathan, if there was something wrong in me, if I had done something, we're friends, you would know, you should call me out on it. But deal kindly with me because we've been in a covenant before the Lord together. But Jonathan said, far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And as we saw last week, he had proven that before. So then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now that is a strange thing to say, isn't it? The Lord be with you as he has been with my father? Jonathan knows what a disaster Saul is. Remember, it was chapter 14 already that Saul was willing to kill Jonathan because Jonathan had broken his curse. Jonathan even said, my father's been troubling the land. So what does he mean here? May the Lord be with you as if that's a good thing, the way he's been with Saul when Saul is such a disaster. Well, this I think, I, I love this. This is one of those places where like, I probably read this seven times before I actually saw this. That's, that's why I love to, to go slow, go verse by verse, think this through. What are the ways that First Samuel has told us that the Lord was with Saul. It was when he gave Saul the kingdom. You realize what Jonathan is saying here is, I recognize in you, David, that God has a plan for your life. I wanna be part of it. I wanna help with it, whatever that takes. And may God be with you. May the Lord give you the kingdom as he once did for my father. May you be blessed in the kingdom. This is Jonathan recognizing that the kingdom is not for him and that's okay. But I think even more than that, this is Jonathan stepping into David's life saying, here's how I show you favor. Here's how I see our commitment. I recognize God wants to do something in your life. See, I I think that is at the core of what a friendship built around Christ looks like. Like if I say that discipleship is friendship, that's not just like some catchy thing. But wouldn't that be true? Like, wouldn't that be an incredible way to know that someone else looked at you and said, I know God has a plan for your life and I would love to be a part of it, to see how God would do that, to help bring it about. And so you notice that what they do, verse 14, he says, you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Remember, David asked for kindness. Now Jonathan does too. He's asking David to make a promise here. Because historically speaking, the normal thing when the throne changes families is you kill the previous king and every last distant relative so that there's nobody who can feel like they can come after you because they have a claim to the throne. So Jonathan knows that's the normal way. He says, I want you to promise, not just that you'll show show kindness to me, but to my family. 
So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And now we're back to our key verse. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. He loved David as he loved himself. See, the second thing that I think helps us find a friend in the fight, in the middle of this life, as we're trying to pursue what God has for us, the best that he has for us, commit to invest in the friendship. He used the word vow and the word covenant, and this is already the second time that they've called on the name of the Lord as the thing that binds it together. Commit to invest in the friendship. You know, one of the things that helps me understand this kind of love, C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book called The Four Loves because he recognized that for a lot of us, I mean, guys, let's be honest. How many guys are there in your life, family members that you work with, a guy here at Horizon, that, you, that like when you call him, you say, I love you, <laughs> bye. It sounds awkward, right? Like that's too vulnerable. I don't want to go there. I'll say, yeah, we're buddies. So if we maybe peel that word back a little bit, because most of the time we hear love, we think romance. But what does this friendship kind of love look like? And so C.S. Lewis, he unpacked that in a book called The Four Loves, where he was trying to help us break down kind of that weakness in the English language to really understand the kind of investment that a friendship kind of love, the kind of thing that the Bible describes, the kind of thing that, that the word used in this passage refers to, and what it means to care about someone the way you do for yourself, to want their success as much as you want your own. In fact, Lewis had experienced this himself with another author, J.R.R. Tolkien. He and Tolkien were teachers together for a time. They obviously both were writers and, and very popular and well-known, but they also had a complete understanding of some of their greatest triumphs and some of their greatest sorrows as they had both seen the pain of the front lines of World War II. And as they formed their friendship originally, Tolkien was a Christ follower. Lewis was not. He was an atheist. But this kind of friendship from Tolkien was part of what shifted Lewis' understanding of Christ. You see, this is, I think, if I could give you this, this is what makes friendship, the kind of love that Jesus describes, different than what anybody else in the world knows about. That it's different than just being a really nice person or being really kind when you happen to be around people. But that's there's a sort of self-sacrificing, give up what I could want because I'm trying to help pursue what God is doing in your life that Lewis and Tolkien found together, I think Jonathan and David find too. And I know, I, I know that's challenging. I know that for guys and gals, there are things that want to get in the way of that. Fear about myself, how will I be received? How would I be accepted? It can feel like that's admitting weakness or like I'm too vulnerable. It can feel like I just don't have time. And yet I think that there's a reason when we do authentic manhood a couple times a year that one of the top reasons that guys right here at Horizon, including myself, say that they come to that is one, yeah, I want to get some tips to be a better dad, husband, father, but I just need more relationships with other guys. 
I need a place to try to build some friendships because our, our culture is just not built for that. I think we long for this, this David and Jonathan kind of thing. I think part of the reason that we long for that is because Jesus is the perfect example. In fact, I love this part of John 15. If you want to know how discipleship can be friendship, like read John 15. And, and I was so tempted to put like 15 more verses on here, but let's just take this one. John 15, 13, Jesus has just told them that his commandment is that they love each other the way he loves them. And he defines it this way. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, Jesus' definition doesn't say than to really have a lot of things in common or, or to really have a lot to talk about. In fact, his definition almost entirely begins with me. Am I willing to invest, to sacrifice, to give, to love? That's what Jesus calls love as he tells these men that they're not just his disciples, they're not his slaves, they're not just servants. Jesus called them friends. You realize this is what Jesus was willing to do for you so that you could be his friend. But I know you're wondering what happens next with David and Jonathan. So let's keep going. Verse 18, they, they've kind of made this plan. Now, now here's how Jonathan's going to make it detailed. Because we kind of need a code so that people don't follow me out here and find David. So Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed. Because your seat will be empty. And when you've stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone easel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. Okay, so, so this is the code they're putting together. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the lad, if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. All right, so the code is essentially, like if you imagine the back property of Horizon here. If you're facing the pond with a tree line behind it, it's like, David, you go hide in the trees. I'll tell the kid, shoot to the right of the pond. And if you hear me yell, look, they're to the right of the pond. You know, everything's safe. But if you hear me say, look, they went beyond the pond, then it's not safe. You better run for it. So then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Paul's side, Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, uh, something has happened to him. That's it, I'm sure. He, he's unclean. Surely he's unclean. That's why he's not here. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was still empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, 
um, David earnestly, uh, David earnestly, uh, Father, asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. Um, What was that thing I was supposed to say? Okay, yeah. uh, He said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Uh, Therefore, he, that's why he has not come to the king's table. Now, this is a moment that feels very different from chapter 19. Chapter 19, Jonathan was very straightforward, very honest. He hasn't done you anything wrong, Dad. But here, they've got kind of this story going, and Saul sees right through it. Verse 30, Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Saul, that's your wife. (laughs) He just called Jonathan's mother, his wife, a perverse, rebellious woman. And he's not done. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. But you and I know this is no surprise to Solomon. Solomon knows this means no kingdom for him. And it doesn't bother him, because he knows what God is doing, and he wants to be a part of it. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. And and I love how astute Jonathan is. He's really paying attention to details here now. That's how Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. (laughs) That's how he knew things had really gotten violent. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Now, I I mentioned just a minute ago that C.S. Lewis had written this book, The Four Loves, where he talks about friendship and what that looks like. And and I love one quote out of that book because he actually says that friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too? I thought no one but myself. And you can almost imagine the moment that Jonathan comes back to David and David says, your dad threw a spear at you too? I, I thought I was the only one. And there's probably a little bit of familiarity in that, a little bit of connection. But you know, one of the things that is strange but interesting about these two, David and Jonathan, at first, they don't actually have that much in common. Jonathan is the son of the king. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's well known. He's probably about twice David's age at that point. And David's just a, a shepherd boy out from the field somewhere with no notoriety, no wealth at that point. And yet... I think even more than Saul throwing spears at him, I think the thing that bonds them together is the trust that they have in God. That Jonathan in chapter 14, when he climbs a mountain, takes on a garrison of Philistines with just him and his armor bearer. Sounds an awful lot like the confidence David has in the living God when he goes up against Goliath. And so it makes me realize that for Jonathan and David, part of this That's not just when things are great. It's not just when you take on a garrison or Goliath comes tumbling down. It's those moments where people are throwing spears at you too. That you can be faithful in good and bad times. You know, I met a a friend here at Horizon, a gal who actually is on our board. Shelly, I think, is a perfect example of this. And I got to tell you just a little bit about her and I wish I could tell you like 30 years of history. But 
when I met Shelly, she was telling me about a few of these friends. And let me grab their names here. One of, a couple of them I know now myself, but Brenda is somebody that she's been friends with for 20 years who started just as a neighbor, just reaching out, saying, I'm willing to invest in a neighbor. You know, Maxine, she's been friends with for 10 years. Mary, she's been friends with for 35 years. And you and I both know that when you're friends with somebody for that long, that doesn't happen on accident or just because you have a couple things in common. It's because you're willing to go through the good times and the bad times together. And they've seen what it's like together to have a friend go through and heal from divorce, to go through disease, even the death of a spouse. They also know what it's like to celebrate together, to celebrate grandchildren, to celebrate healing. And in fact, one of the things that was, was just so fun, just perfect example of this, because this is where friendship happens. Like it's not, it's not like you sign up for this thing, but when you look at another human being and say, I think God has a plan for you. And I think I might be a part of it. You know, then it becomes so much more natural to think, hey, if you've put your trust in Christ too, then this book says that, that we've got spiritual gifts to use. I wonder what yours are. I wonder what mine are. I wonder how we could use them. You know, the kind of thing that David and Jonathan are doing is the kind of thing that Shelley, Brenda, Maxine, and Mary have been able to do together. And one of the coolest things was, I think this was just about a year ago, that as a part of that friendship, Shelley had a moment where she was right out here on the terrace with all three of these friends able to be a part of their baptism. And I've actually got photos from that that I can share with you because baptism is one of those things that like the Bible teaches it as a piece of obedience. That if I've trusted Christ for forgiveness, I put my faith in him, then it's obedient of me to take this step of baptism. But don't forget the friendship that Jesus is talking about. He laid down his life for us so that we could be his friends. And this moment, like that step of obedience, that step of like public declaration, the baptism represents the death and burial and resurrection that Jesus went through to be your friend. And baptism is saying, yeah, yeah, I'm friends with Jesus. What a cool way to see God at work in the life of friends because these four women were willing to make that investment. And I guess it's gotta tell you that if baptism is something you haven't done, you know, if you consider yourself a friend of Jesus, if he is your friend, then, then this is a really cool thing to take a part of that you do not wanna miss out on. He's, he's asked this for you, he wants this for you. And actually on July 19th at 1045, we're having this exploring baptism. So please, like if you've been thinking about that, talking about that, wondering if that was still possible, would you just call me? Or, or call Chad or call John or e email one of us and let us know you might be interested. And we'd love to have you there or even just to, to meet with you one-on-one -on -one and see how you could share this like, yes, Jesus is my friend moment. Because Jesus, like Jonathan, is like we see in Proverbs 17 when it tells us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Solomon wrote that and I wonder if he learned it sitting at the feet of David. That after Jonathan was gone, did David sit and, and dream about what the temple was going to be like? That, that he would receive the plans for, but Solomon would build? And did he think, I wish Jonathan was here to see this? Son, let me tell you about friendship, because there is a friend that loves at all times. That a brother is born for adversity. 
And I hope you find that too, that all of us could find that in our lives. So let's see how this comes together then because so it was, right? We still got the code. Jonathan's got to follow through on this. So it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Remember the code. So when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. All right, so, so this was the code. This was what they would agree on. Now David knows the message. So as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south where he'd been hiding, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times and they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. In the last verse of this chapter, Jonathan said to David, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. See, I think that's the final piece that pulls this all together. It's more than just what's in me and what's in you. But can you and I, can you let the Lord be the bond between you and a friend? Because we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're gonna let each other down and sometimes that's part of what keeps us back from this kind of thing. I'm not sure I want to invest. I'm not sure where this is gonna end up. You know, I had a guy come to me a couple of years ago here at Horizon. We're sitting down to lunch. And I'm like, yeah, I wanna help this guy grow. And he says, you know, I think partly what I need is I just need deep friendships. And I remember I kind of leaned back in my chair and said, I will see if I can find some for you. <laughs> a couple of years later, we're friends. We're walking this journey together and we've been through some things where it's so clear that God is at work. And so I know it can be intimidating, but I think part of what helps us lean into that is saying, if Christ is our friend first, then he creates this bond. He holds us together. He wants to do this for us. See, I think like anything that we're talking about here, that's, there are helpful tips, there are practical things, and I want all of that, but I know I'm not up to it if I don't have Jesus to help me. That's why I'm so thankful that he describes what that friendship is like. He did it first. We just get to follow his lead. And in fact, you know how names can be so important in the Hebrew language. The name Jonathan, one of the best examples of a friend we've ever seen. His name actually means gift from Yahweh, gift from the Lord. So if your name is John or Jonathan, fun fact for you. David's name means the one who is loved. So I just want to read that last verse to you again, but instead of their names, I'm going to read the meaning because I think this is what Jesus has in mind. Literally, friends, for you and for me. Then the gift of the Lord said to the one who was loved, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me. So we can talk about this more. 
You know, if you feel like maybe you're the introvert like I am, maybe you're the shy one like I am, um, would you just call me? <laughs> Which I know is like stepping out of your comfort zone. Email me if you want, text me, I don't know. Um, you know, there's more that I could share here with you about my own journey. But I think for all of us, wherever we're at, would you just consider, would you pray about, as a part of why it may be that God has brought you here to Horizon, that you can be like Jonathan to someone at Horizon. That you can be that kind of a friend for someone here and that you can find that kind of a friend in someone here. Because I know I can't do it alone. As much as I would love to, I have to admit that. I know Chad can't do it alone. Even group leaders, we, we can't do it alone. But there's something that he's built into us that we can take the friendship of Christ and share it with one another. So I'd like to pray for us that way. And I'd love to hear stories like yours, like Shelley's, where God is at work. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am just so thankful that you are patient and kind and generous and friendly. Lord, that the kind of friendship that you have offered me is everything that I need. Lord, I know that we as people are weak. We know that Jonathan and David are imperfect and yet they found something through a bond in you that became an all-time example of what your love looks like. God, I don't know what that looks like for the people that are listening right now. I don't always know what it looks like for me. Lord, I just pray that if there's any fear or any confusion that would come into our minds now, that you would fight against it and that there might even be someone that is on our hearts because we want someone to feed into us that way. We want that kind of investment in us and maybe we can make that investment in someone else too. God, we'll just trust you for it. We'll just ask you to speak to us and we'll do all of that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.